from Acts 4, uh, verse 1 to 22, before Tim comes to speak to us this morning. It says, The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many had heard the message believed, so the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. The next day, the rulers, the elders, and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there, and so were Cephas, John, Alexander, and others of the high priest family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could not see the man who had been healed, but sorry, since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and then conferred together. What are we going to do with these men? They asked. Everyone living in Jerusalem knows they performed a notable sign and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them to speak no longer to anyone in this name. Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. After further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. Uh, my name's Tim Chilvers. Uh, can I add my welcome to Michelle's? Uh, it's great to have you uh, with us. Uh, we live in a world of fake news, don't we? False claims where adverts promise much, they promise even the world, but deliver little. <clears throat> we get used, don't we, to hoping that a particular product will change our lives, whether that be a particular uh, new top. Uh, apparently, somebody, a friend of mine, was walking past White Stuff recently uh, over the winter period, and their sign outside White Stuff said, Come in for salvation. Uh, and they went in, and it was salvation in a fur coat that was particularly there that you could get. Or maybe it's a moisturizing cream that uh, promises youthfulness and endless life. Or maybe it's a new car, or maybe it is a new job, or maybe it is a partner, or maybe it is a child, or maybe it is a house, or maybe it is a holiday, or maybe it is something that will just make our world complete. 
And it struck me uh, recently, this world of false claims, uh, when some friends of I were playing with our phones and speaking to Siri. Now put your hands up if you've got an iPhone. Okay, if you haven't got an iPhone, Siri is like the personal assistant on an iPhone. I presume there's an equivalent on Samsung and all that kind of stuff on Android. But you basically can say to Siri, hey Siri, no phones beep up, that's good. Uh, hey Siri, and then ask any question. And I decided with my friends whilst we were sat there, we were just musing to see what Siri would say. And we asked the question, hey Siri, what is the best restaurant in Birmingham? Actually, mine is working, that's clever. What is the best restaurant in Birmingham? Are you ready for Siri's genuine answer? Here it is, the best restaurant in Birmingham. The best rated one I see is McDonald's restaurant in West Bromwich, which averages two and a half stars. <laughs> genuine answer, fascinating. Now, even in our world of fake promises and fake news, even I thought that was a little bit much. Uh, and the reality is, guilty little secret that McDonald's may be, actually, if we went there hoping for the best restaurant in Birmingham, me well, me disappointed and left longing, longing for more, dare I say it. Apologies if McDonald's in West Bromwich is your favorite restaurant in Birmingham. But it got me thinking about this series that we're in at the moment, when the end is the beginning, when we're looking at the end of Luke's gospel, and then the beginning of Acts, and the end of Luke's gospel when Jesus dies, and then Jesus comes back to life. And then the beginning of Acts, where Jesus then says to his followers, wait, because I'm gonna give you the Holy Spirit. And then the Holy Spirit comes at Pentecost, and then this new fledgling community literally changed the world. And it got me thinking this, because if you're anything like me and you read books like the book of Acts, and it is a mixture of inspirational and saddening. Saddening because if I look at my life, if I look at the state of the Western church, I long for so much more. And yet inspiring because it does leave me longing for more. Lots of promise, lots of hope, lots of transformation, lots of inspiration that God might use little old me and you to do amazing things even today in this world. And so this morning I want to share something of my heart about some differences that I see in these chapters compared to my life and the church in this country and beyond. And as we were worshipping just there, I had a sense that for some of us, life feels a bit like walking through sticky mud at the moment. Where to be honest, it just feels stodgy. And coming along to church and we sing the songs and it just feels the words we're just singing. And we're stuck. And life feels full, draining, burden, or just, we just long for more. My hope is that this morning, we may get a sense of God's freedom. So I'm gonna pray for us. And I'd love it if you'd be open to what God might have to say to you this morning. So let's pray. Father, would you speak this morning? Change us, we pray. Lord, would you encourage and would you stir our hearts, Lord? 
that this morning we might have our eyes lifted, that the songs we sing would not be just words, that we would see you're the God who loves us and is at work in us, bringing freedom and hope. Change us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Excuse my weak voice this morning. So 10 things. We're going to race through them, don't worry. 10 things that strike me about this passage. And the first is this. The message is good news for self-sufficient religion. Uh, Let me explain. What has happened, as Michelle has explained, is that last week, if you were here, the followers of Jesus had just healed somebody that couldn't walk from birth. Amazing miracle. This guy's friends brought him every day to the temple and the apostles, the followers of Jesus, had just healed him. Amazing act of kindness. And as a result of that, some people are really upset. Let me read again, verse one. The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Pete and John while they were speaking to the people and building on who those people are, verse five and six. The next day, the rulers, the elders, and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there. So were Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and others of the high priest's family. If you don't get it, these were the ruling elite. These were the authorities. These were the religious leaders of their day that everyone would have lauded. And who were the Sadducees? Well, the Sadducees were different from the Pharisees, and the Sadducees were a bit more the elite, if you like. They had gone to Eton of their day. And and their interest lied more in kind of political power than supernatural power. They didn't believe that there was the possibility of life after death, They believed that lasting change would come here and now by being obedient to Rome and then maybe one day they might get freedom from Rome and have their own power once and for all. Nothing supernatural. Change came from within. And particularly, of course, through the ruling elite. (laughs) And the reality is we live in a society, don't we, in which change comes from us. We are educated from day one that you can make a difference in this world. And our whole idea is that it's all about what we can achieve in our lives. And into that come these apostles. And look what happens. They do something amazing and this therefore ruling elite are freaked out. Verse two, they were greatly disturbed. Why? Not because of what had happened so much, the healing, but of what they were teaching. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. It unsettled their power and the sense that they can make a difference. And it got me thinking about our view of the Christian message. So much of our emphasis in our society is on what I can achieve and what I can do. And can I ask a question? Is the message somehow wittingly that we as leaders here at Riverside? But beyond us in church in general and in our Christian lives that actually following Jesus is about what I can do. 
Do we unwittingly give the impression that being a follower of Jesus is on for the emphasis on the changes I need to make? Let me illustrate this with my own story. I grew up in a Christian home in a really lovely church in which I was taught from day one about Jesus and I knew the Bible stories. I I knew that the gospel was good news. I knew that Jesus had died for me. I knew that he'd risen from the dead. And yet when I went to university and I first, for the first time in life, had a bit of freedom away from parents' control, did what many people do and kind of lived a dual life where I still believed all this stuff here, but then the rest of my life was over here doing whatever I wanted. Thank you very much. And then one day, whilst at university, God broke me. And the reason he broke me was because if I was honest, at that point, I had believed that God was kind of fundamentally against me. And so therefore, following him was what I, about what I was doing. And therefore, when I was not living for him, he deeply didn't like me. And then when I did, all was lovely. And so, of course, I wouldn't tell anyone about this dual life I was leading and just lived with the shame and guilt. Until one day, by becoming aware of the depth of brokenness in my life, I realized that God loved me the same as when I was living for him or not. And I realized that the grace that he had given to me in Jesus when he died was precisely because I couldn't make change in my own life, precisely because I wasn't good enough, precisely that I could never make the changes necessary. And of course, what happened at that moment when I became very aware of God's goodness, then of course the whole affection in my life changed as I now realized that he was for me and loved me. There really was hope and therefore I want to live for him. Friends, we live in a society in which if we're honest, we can bring the self-help motivation into our faith, in which the barometer on how we're doing in God is all about how I'm doing. And of course, like this cartoon shows, if it's all about me, we end up being crushed. The good news of the Christian message is that salvation is not through you. Full stop. No matter how well you're doing, The good news of the salvation of Jesus is it's got nothing to do with what you do. Isn't that good news? In other words, self-help religion is empty. Salvation is found in no one else, not even you. It's found in Jesus. That's good news for self-sufficient religion. Now, just so you know, we've got nine more, but that was the longest, okay? (laughs) Because then we quickly move on and all the others flow from this. The second thing is this, the courage that they had came from the truth of the message. If you're anything like me, you can go to an inspiring talk, you can go to a conference, read a book, hear something, hear some stirring music, and feel something dwelling within you, a sense of courage. But also, if you're anything like me, you can also feel a sense of shame and burden, because frankly, I'm not courageous. And we look at these first Christians and think, wow, I could never be like that. But look again. Look, verse 13, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. The courage is not to do with them. It's to do with the fact they've been with Jesus. Friends, 
how courageous you are is not to do with you geeing yourself up to be courageous. It's about Jesus. They knew that Jesus really was alive. And because of that, what have we got to be afraid of? I heard someone a while ago sharing their story. They were dying of cancer. And they were interviewed in front of their church. And the interviewer was talking about some new therapy that they were just starting out. And this was their last option. If this didn't go well, they were leading to death. And this person was being interviewed in front of the church and the interviewer was talking about how they were going to pray that this therapy would work. And the person was saying, yeah, I'd love you to pray that. But then he said some amazing words as he said, but the reality is whether it works or not, I'm not afraid. What have I got to be afraid of? Jesus beat death. So courage comes from the truth of the message, not the strength of the person. Friends, be free. If you're a scaredy cat, so am I. But because of Jesus, there really is hope. Point number three, I'm racing now. Point number three, the ordinary became extraordinary. Did you see that again? We live in a culture in which we don't value the ordinary. We love quotes like this from C.S. Lewis. We meet no ordinary people in our lives. We have those on our fridges. We have them on our desktops. We love it. The sense of everybody is extraordinary. And of course, that's true. Look around the room, go on, actually look around the room now. Look to the person next to you. That person is made in God's image. They are beautiful, they are valued and valuable by the God of eternity. No matter what they look like, no matter what they've achieved, no matter what their background is, no matter what their potential, they are extraordinary. And yet, of course the reality is if everybody's extraordinary, nobody's extraordinary. And that's the beautiful thing. Look again. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized they were unschooled, ordinary men. The good news of Jesus is extraordinary news for ordinary people, which leads to extraordinary consequences. We are a pretty ordinary bunch, whilst also being extraordinary. And therefore, The pressure is off. You don't have to be extraordinary in your life. But God can do extraordinary things with ordinary people. The Sadducees were extraordinary in their society. But I put you a challenge this week. Ask someone at work, ask someone at the pub, where it is, what do you know about the Sadducees? I'd be interested if any of them have even heard of the Sadducees. Then ask them, What do you know of the church? Most people will have at least heard of the church. Here we are 2,000 years later, the Sadducees who were extraordinary people in their society, I had to Google them to find out. Whereas there are churches all across the world, billions of people owning the name of Jesus. God does extraordinary things with ordinary people, even your ordinary life. Number four, did you notice this? It might sound obvious, but lives were changed. They were transformed. Look again. Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers, rulers, elders of the people, if we're being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame, being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it's by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. 
Friends, have we forgotten that God is still in the business of changing people's lives today? There are people in this room right now who have been healed. There are people in this room right now who have been transformed. There are people in this room who have found salvation in Jesus recently. And so therefore the same is true for the people in your family, the people in true in your workplace, in your neighborhood, in your friendship group. God is still in the business of changing lives and he can use ordinary people like us. That's good news. Let's be stirred to that. Fifth thing is this. Did you notice? It just seemed unstoppable what was happening in that society. They just couldn't stop this new fledgling community. I love this verse. They're trying to stop Peter and John speaking about Jesus. But they got this guy who was healed. And so he loved verse 14 says, since they could see the man who'd been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. There's something about the unstoppable nature of changed lives. That people may have questions about our Christian faith. They may have questions about the church that's let them down so often. And yet, and yet, people can have no questions when they see lives changed by Jesus. There's something unstoppable that Jesus is still building his church today all around the world. The sixth thing is this, and I find this both hugely challenging but massively inspirational. Telling people about Jesus was natural to these guys. Can I be honest about something? In the last couple of weeks, I was invited to do some training to some church leaders on evangelism where I had to go and kind of give them input about to how to tell people about Jesus. Uh, and after I'd done this day, do you know the overwhelming feeling I felt at the end of it was complete flatness and numbness. Partly because it's tiring doing all that sort of stuff. But what I felt was, it wasn't a numbness about how I'd done, but I felt that I'd left people with a burden that they would have left that day thinking I've now got to tell people about Jesus. Can I say, if you have been coming along to church for a little while and you feel burdened in a heavy, unhealthy way, that it's all on your shoulders, can I say that I'm really sorry about that? You can be free from that burden. They try to stop Peter and John and look at what they say. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we've seen and heard. They knew something about Jesus was true and it just leaked out of them. How can we not talk? It's like when you meet people who have just fallen in love. I won't ask if there's a show of hands for anyone who's just fallen in love. Uh, but if you know people in your sphere who've just fallen in love, some of you are nudging each other saying, it'd be good if we did fall in love again, love. <laughs> <coughs> Sorry about that. <coughs> but you know what it's like when you meet people? They can't shut up <laughs> about their loved one and about how beautiful they are. I remember a friend of mine once saying, but Tim, she's just beautiful put you in an awkward position where you say, uh, yeah, she is, uh, how do I answer this? In other words, they don't have to be told to tell people about how much in love they are. They're just in love. 
They don't have to do a training course about how to perfectly craft it so that other people will be convinced about how beautiful they are. And the reality is for these guys, they knew what Jesus had done had changed everything. And so therefore it naturally bubbled out of them. May we be a church in which our desire to share Jesus is not because we feel we ought to or a sense of burden that's heavy. May we be a church, we'll pray into this at the end, in which we as individuals are just so transfixed by Jesus that it just comes naturally. May that be the same in my life for all of us. Seventh thing is this. They realize that their story wasn't just their story. It's amazing that they have this environment, they're put in prison, they've just done something incredible, healed somebody, then they're put in prison for it, then they're hauled before the government to defend themselves. The government don't know what to do because they're worried about a riot because the guy was actually healed, but they don't want to believe what they're saying, and so they just go, get away from it, don't do it again. And I love what happens next. This was after the reading. Let me read to you. On their release, this is verse 23, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God, and then they pray, and it says this. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles, the people of Israel, to conspire against Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. What's just happened is they've been put in prison. The ruling authorities can't stand them, but they can't stop them. And so they go back and they suddenly realize that what they've just been involved with is not just what they're involved with. They're really involved in God's big story. And the same, of course, is true for me and you. Your life is not about your life. You are part of something way bigger that as a result of your life, impact will flow way beyond you for generations to come. Parents, if you are a parent, you're having a massive impact in the children that you bring up. Who knows what they or their children and children and children and children will do. Friends at work, that conversation you have, that little word of encouragement, that little blessing, Who knows the impact that that may have for decades to come. Your story is not just your story. You have an extraordinary opportunity in your ordinariness because you're part of God's story. Amazing. The eighth thing is this. Out of that they then pray and it's fascinating the nature of their prayer. I love this and I'm so challenged by it. Because if I was in that situation, how would you pray? Imagine, imagine today, literally, the government comes in, puts us in prison, says, don't do that again. What are you going to do? And you go back and you go, oh, we've got to pray now. What would we do? How would we pray? If you're anything like me, I would pray, Lord, please protect us. Lord, please, we pray that you just look after us and help us to understand what on earth is happening. I love what they pray. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. They didn't pray for comfort. They didn't pray for ease. They didn't pray for protection. They simply prayed that more people would hear about Jesus. And of course, 
if you have nothing to fear, why wouldn't that be the prayer you pray? And that's why our brothers and sisters around the world who live in places where actually they are in genuine threats if they speak of Jesus or just living as a Christian are such an inspiration, not because they're special, but because in Christ we have nothing to fear. May our prayers be ones that are about God and what he's doing, his big story that we're a little part of. The ninth thing as I come in towards a close, fascinating isn't it and it just again reminds us of what we said earlier it's noticeable that the power to do all this this fledgling community that changed the world and the city they were in didn't come from them look at verse 31 after they prayed the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the holy spirit and spoke the word of god boldly i'm simply going to pray that in a minute that god would fill us with his spirit and that we would speak the word of God boldly. Not out of a sense of burden, but out of a sense of utter, complete freedom and joy. And this leads me to my last point. The thing that troubles me most about my own life compared to these guys, the thing that inspires me most about these guys compared to where I'm at, is their overwhelming sense of freedom and joy and lightness and hope. If you were here at the joint gathering, what we're talking about, thriving. There was no sense of burdened drivenness in an unhealthy way. There was just freedom. Despite their circumstances that were all to the opposite. I mean, imagine being in a place where the police and the government are against us and will lock us in prison. I mean, imagine what that would be like. How would we navigate it? If you're anything like me, you'd be in a prison cell freaking out. God, what on earth are you doing? And yet, and yet, the reality that many of our sisters and brothers around the world go through is that even in the middle of that, there is an overwhelming sense of freedom and joy. Why? Well, Jesus said these words. And I say them to you this morning. Come to me, all you who are wearied and burdened. I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me as I'm gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And as Paul reminds the church in Galatia, it's for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm and don't let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery, even good things. And I close with this verse. I was reading this week the book of Isaiah. Speaking of that day that after Jesus, then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. Freedom. Friends, may we be people who say, Lord, set me free from religion. Set me free from self-focused faith. Set me free from striving in an unhealthy way. Set me free from thinking it's all about me, whereas actually it's all in your goodness and grace. Set me free.